The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Na, 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 come on! episode of the heat check we talk about the wild roller coaster that is the ben simmons and sixers saga we get into the top 75 players of all time list and the people snubbed we talk about kyle lowry and the impact that he's already having in the miami heat and some other news from around the league let's get into it i mean we got to talk about ben simmons right well 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 we started out the first season of the Heat Check, which is called This League. Uh, we are now the uh, podcast formerly known as This League, kind of like Prince. And that was with a discussion of Ben Simmons. We started it with Ben, we ended it with Ben, and then we started this new endeavor with Ben. The more things change, I guess, the more things stay the goddamn same. Like times, what, a flat circle, they say? Uh, yada, yada. I mean, don't ask Kyrie what time is because he'll tell you, I don't even know. You know, planets, when they're flat, I don't think they time is the same way. Um, but here's a real bold take. I've been doing some thinking. Forget Dennis Rodman. Forget Meta World Peace, a.k.a. Ron Artest. Forget Joe Barry Car- Carroll. Joe barely cares. Uh, Ben Simmons is, you know that well, you know that well. Ben Simmons is the most polarizing NBA player in NBA history. That is a bold assertion. And to me, this is only going to get more solidified as time goes on. It's only going to get worse. Seriously, like, I don't think that there's a player that has caused more intense debate, a player that has caused more defense for and more rancor towards, more chaos over a long period than Ben. He's had loyal defenders willing to go just like to the ends of the earth for Ben Simmons, no matter how bad he played, no matter how dog shit he was. It was like Ben Simmons is a Hall of Famer if he had a jump shot. It's like, well, that's a pretty big if, isn't it? Isn't it? He also had extremely loud, annoying characters being like, oh, my God, what a bum, Ben Simmons, no jumper, Ben, off the backboard, two moves, no bag, Ben, you're a bum, Simmons. Like, really annoying characters, just literally clickbaiting their way to ascension, off of the demise of Ben, which to me is really what's wrong with media, if you know what I'm saying. Like, it's really what we, what we aim to stay away from here at the heat check. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, 
the while, though, he just keeps on grinding on defense. DPOY, top of the list every year. He's an all-star. He refuses to shoot no matter when. Even with the game on the line and the season on the line, Ben Simmons will pass. He's that generous of a player, but polarizing all the same. So where did this all come from? Like for those who haven't been following this league and now the heat check and me, you may not know the full story. So I'm going to just break it down very quickly for you. Saga started, or Saga, started from where he was drafted. Before that, there were scouting reports from 2016 about this, Ben's lack of competitiveness in crucial moments. You don't say. Tell me more. The full breakdown says this. Simmons, quote, lack of competitiveness in crucial games has raised questions about his character. Those who know him best, tell me more, say he needs things to revolve around him on and off the court. On and off the court sounds like not a great lover, truthfully. And that he's been closed-minded to coaching or instruction. Again, if you don't know what you're doing, and then I'm like, hey, babe, why don't you try this? And then you're like, fuck you. Listen, this is a problem. That is a red flag. But seems to me no one could see these red flags, Kendall Jenner included. Fast forward to October 19th when she's with Devin Booker now. Fast forward to October 9th, 2019 when Tim Bonteps published Ben Simmons isn't here for your three point shooting revolution. That was the headline. Pretty much exactly what it sounds like. A massively detailed description about Ben and his defiance around shooting jump shots of any kind, but like more specifically three pointers. And why Ben did not give a shit about why anyone, including the Sixers organization, thought otherwise. Then, April 2020, Jackie McMullen brilliantly broke down uh, Ben Simmons, we'll call it a mental hangups, that he struggled through dating back to his childhood, where she described that Coach Brown once told Ben that he had to shoot one three a game or he could be faced being benched. And then guess what? Ben shot less threes that year than the previous year. So he wasn't open to that level of coaching, obviously. But Brett Brown was fired after that. The, D- the team did, though, try to, we'll call it, despite what people would say, despite what Ben would say, truthfully, uh, concoct a roster around a point guard that doesn't shoot, which is very challenging to do uh, to mitigate all of those spacing issues with Ben and Embiid on the court, right? They signed Al Horford. When Ben bitched and moaned and whined about Jimmy Butler, maybe one of the greatest leaders and competitive spirits in the league, they got rid of Jimmy and they kept Tobias's bitch ass. He got the extension and buckets went to Miami. JoJo, Joel Embiid wanted Jimmy. Ben wanted Tobias. Tobias stay, Jimmy went. Tells you all you need to know. Ben wanted an offense and a team to throw through, flow through him and not Joel Embiid. Friction abound. Then, of course, when Daryl Morey got to town, Daryl Morey wasn't having any of that bullshit. He tried to trade Ben right away. 
Like, try to trade him. Toot sweet. I do not want this bitch running my team. No, I want my guy, James Harden. Tried to trade him for James. Then all of a sudden, now Ben knows he's not wanted. He's not special. He's not the unique unicorn that everybody wants him to be. He's not the unique unicorn, really, that he wants to be known as, right? That hit home and hit some, uh, we'll call it Ben Simmons mental triggers. Things weren't the same ever since then. And then, of course, in, the, in last year's playoffs, when Ben tried to pretend, we'll call it, he was very concerned about having COVID before Game 7. Very concerned when he didn't need to be concerned. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was trying to skip Game 7 because he had gone three consecutive games without attempting a jump shot in the fourth quarter, or any shot of any kind, actually. At every turn, Ben was trying to disengage from basketball. Then he took just one shot in that quarter of the last four games, like I said. And of course, that one pass to Matisse Thibel that got him buried by Doc Rivers, got him buried by Embiid, where they were they were standing for Ben. And then all of a sudden that dissipated and they were like, I don't know if he's a championship caliber point guard. I don't know, fam. Ah. So then the drama goes into overdrive. He skipped the Olympics. He made it clear that point I'm not playing another fucking game for the Sixers ever again Philly fans went insane fuck Ben hate him what a bum right predictions came true in the crucialist of moments as they would say Uh, and then he dominated trade rumors was he gonna go to Minnesota Kings Golden State there were probably 10 teams that were in the running for Ben Daryl Morey was like no I don't care what these offers are. I'm fleecing someone for Ben Simmons. His value's never been higher. (laughs) So Maury was like, (laughs) Maury suggested to the Raptors that they should trade Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, OG Ananobi, and the fourth overall pick. And that was fair. That was a fair trade. And Miss Ayujiri, GM of the Raptors, was like, "Mm, you know... We kind of have a lot of guys like Ben Simmons, uh, a lot of guys who can't shoot or 6'10". Don't know if we need another one. A lot of those guys can play defense, too. Then Maury offered up Simmons in a package to the Nuggets involving Jamal Murray and a bunch of first-rounders, uh, leading a Denver executive to say, hey, I'm not really sure if that's insulting more to Jamal or to us, to be honest. Like, do you think we're fucking stupid? We all saw what happened. We were all there. So now NBA executives are mocking Daryl Morey openly. All right, so then it gets worse. Team tries to package things up. Joel Embiid goes and it's like, hey, we're going to fly out to see you. Let's figure it out. And Ben's like, do not even do not even try to come here. Like, I do not want to see your face. I'm not playing. Like I said, I'm not playing another game in a Sixers uniform. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm done. So then he was holding out until they started fining him crazy money. $1.4 million to date he's been fined, including $360,000 a game. So unannounced, out of nowhere, no, no word in the ether where Ben was. Ben just shows up to the arena. Just shows up. Just takes COVID test, slides in. And then played on his phone the entire time Doc Rivers ran a practice. And they're like, hey, Ben, can you get off your phone? Maybe run a drill like this is we're talking about practice, practice. We talking about practice. So then he gets kicked out of practice. 
And just like that, Ben Simmons has, again, fully, completely hijacked all of the NBA universe and the Sixers season. Nobody gets asked any questions without being asked about Ben. He's suspended for the first game of the season, and now he's told the Sixers, hey, I'd love to play basketball for you, but I've got this, like, back injury? Yeah, my back really hurts. My neck, my back, my neck, and my back. Multiple sources have told the Philly voice that Ben Simmons has never had back tightness before. This is a new occurrence. Uh, It's never been mentioned as a problem, nor treated by team staffers ever, including in the last week and a half. And now, which is where we are, there are whispers with probably more truth than the back injury, because nobody wants to say, hey, I'm fucked up in the head. Like, I am struggling with things right now emotionally. I don't think I can play this basketball thing, especially in a fan base that is hostile towards me. Too many sticks now, not enough carrots for Ben Simmons. It's a shame. Uh, So Shams reported that Joel Embiid directly asked Ben, hey, why do you want to trade? And Simmons responded, he's not feeling mentally himself and needs time to get right. That's probably closer to the truth. They fucked him up. But Daryl Morey gives zero fucks about what Ben wants or what Ben needs or how his brain is. He is not trading Ben until he gets what he wants, which is a hardened size trade. And Be- Daryl Morey, in my opinion, is like, listen, little fuck, I will destroy your career and hold you hostage until I don't get a superstar, four first-rounders, you weak-minded, no-skill-having, overpaid, entitled little shit. Play some fucking games so I can get your ass out of Philadelphia. And that's the subtext. What Daryl Morey actually said was, people should buckle in. It's going to be a long time. If we can trade Ben Simmons for a difference maker, we will do it. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. This could take four years. Excuse me, what? Huh? Did they just say four years? This is not a day-to-day issue. We are in the prime of Joel's career. Well, that would make trading Ben pretty urgent. Uh, Every day we're going to expect Ben to be back here or we trade him for a difference maker. Difference maker is relative. That is in the eye of the beholder on who is going to make a difference. Uh, Then they asked Daryl, would you rather eliminate what people perceive to be a distraction or would you rather have better playoff odds? Daryl then said, I think that was actually Daryl just kind of like hypothesizing to the universe and he said I would take the playoff odds whatever we need to do that helps the Sixers win the title we will do it he is ready to make shit so awkward and it is already so awkward all of this to say if Ben is actually mentally done with Philly which like I get that. Like, you're not doing your job, but, like, honestly, they're not doing their job. So you guys are both at fault, truthfully. And the fan base is never going to like him, no matter what he does. Let alone, like, if he suits up and plays, he's going to get booed all night long. They probably hate Ben more than they hate any other player that's ever been in Philly. If this is truly a mental health issue, which I think it is, Because I've heard he's terrified of even being near the team. Terrified. Like, in catatonic state. What point does the league step in and force Daryl Morey to take one of these 10 trades? Right? 
Like, you have 10 offers. They're all pretty good. Like, they're getting you somebody back. Sacramento has a lot of guards. We could do a little switcheroo here, maybe a first or two. Because if they don't, and Daryl does allow Ben Simmons to just rot or, or collect dust in some random storage unit, which is what he's treating him like is like a dining room table you don't have room for in your fucking apartment. Like, Ben might actually have cause for a lawsuit. Like, you can't destroy my mental health. Keep me hostage, not pay me my fucking money, and let me out. I don't want to be here. This is a, a matter of mental health status. And the NBA then, at that point, would probably allow Ben to still get paid, or they would force a buyout. He might have cause to sue the league as a member of the union. And just like what happened to Dell Demps when he held Anthony Davis hostage, my prediction is that Ben gets what Ben wants, and Daryl Morey loses his fucking job for thinking that he's smarter than everybody else. And maybe never is an NBA executive ever again. That is what we call this league. Our next segment. The NBA 75-year anniversary is here. And like clockwork, people are mad. There are lists. That come out when there's a milestone and at the list point, lists are usually wrong. Like because you look at the list of those who are um, voting on the players, they don't even know who Tiny Archibald is really. Like they just put him on the list because they know he's important. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's grandpa's fucking pissed at this list and then all the youngsters are pissed as well. Bill Simmons squeeted this out. Why didn't the NBA just grandfather in the 50 at 50 list and then we have the panel vote on 25 new players for the 75? Why stagger the rollout of the list for three straight days when 50 guys were never trading? This is all so bizarre. And then you've got NBA players just sitting around at the sewing circle shit-talking about who got left off and who was on that shouldn't have been on. Mostly because there were only 11 active players who made the list. Giannis, Carmelo, Steph Curry, AD, AD, Kevin Durant. Don't you think AD benefited from that LeBron James Mickey Mouse ring? If he doesn't have a ring, does he make that list? No, Kevin Durant, James Harden, LeBron, of course, Kawhi, Dame, which, hey, like Dame is a great player, but Dame, I don't know, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, let me tell you, Twitter melted down as they always do. Remember, Jeannie Buss named her top five Lakers of all time, and then she left off Shaq, That was crazy. Or then, last year later, Dr. J made a first and second team All-NBA of all time and left LeBron James off. Controversy. Uh, So what's funny, I think, about this list is really the number of current and former players who came out of the blocks fast. And they just like Twitter fingers like, this list is bullshit. Let's look at a few of them. So former coach and executive George Carl, who is tremendous follow on Twitter, came out firing for the great Alex English. Uh, 
He said, man of class and dignity, best player in Denver Nuggets history, leading scorer of the 80s, not a 75, top 75 player. Alex is in my book. Of course he is. George Carl, like, all right. You, like, you don't think Nikola Jokic is going to be the best player in Nuggets history? Like, get out of here. Richard Jefferson, as a lot of people did, came out for Dwight Howard. He said, I'll not discuss who should be left off the list, but I do want to discuss that Dwight Howard has been disrespected and he should be on. <laughs> I love Richard Jefferson. Spencer Dinwiddie agreed, noting Dwight Howard was snubbed. Pat Beverly went in for Tony Parker, tweeting, no Tony Parker, a winner, y'all tripping. And of course, Draymond was upset at the list because he wasn't on the list, really. (laughs) He said, yeah, I'll keep building on my resume and expressed optimism. He'll be top 100 in 25 years. I mean, who cares at that point? I mean, I think that the list really matters when you're playing, like when you're young enough to enjoy these accolades. Like if you're 55, this list doesn't really mean much, honestly. But you know who was by far the angriest? Clay Thompson. Yeah, he gets very upset about these things. So upset that he even knows that it's an irrational level of anger. Like, he knows. He tweeted out the the night the final 25 were released. Maybe I'm just naive in my ability to play basketball, but in my head, I'm top 70 of all time. Steph said that adds fuel to Clay's fire. And then Clay, still not being able to get this whole thing out of his mind, probably was dreaming about it all night. He literally got up out of bed, rolled out of bed, got on Instagram, created a post, a little text on screen, just to get his feelings out to the world. And he said, woke up this morning, still thinking about this stupid ass list. (laughs) Maybe not everybody loves winning as much as me. And you're like, yeah, that's true. Like not everybody is maniacally like dedicated to making every single fucking list from every irrelevant team of journalists. Yes, you're on the list, Clay. Like truthfully, you're on the real list. He's got too much, Clay. He's got too much time on his hands. He's coming back. He's rehabbing. He's going to continue talking about this. To me, here are some of the players left off the list. Uh, There are three guys who have made over six all-NBA teams and did not make the list. Paul George, Tracy McGrady, Dwight Howard. Those are egregious misses. I mean, like somebody pointed this out on Twitter, and they said, do you think anyone would really miss any of those milkmen from the 1950s if you replaced them, like, say, Dolph Shays with Dwight Howard? Do you think anyone would say a fucking peep? No. No. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this Dolph Shays name correctly. Truthfully, couldn't be, couldn't be positive. Like, sounds like Dolphin. Does it? Sound like Dolph? I don't know. And of course, there were other misses too. Jokic, Vince Carter, Clay, of course. Dennis Rodman, of course. Gary Payton gets so disrespected. Paul Pierce and Tony Parker. Who do you think was snubbed off the All-NBA Top 75 and why? All right, Brock, let's get into some news around the league. Let's start in Miami. I have a question. Uh, Has anyone scoring five points been more impactful to their new team in one game faster than Kyle Lowry? I mean, he's already, like, they just blew out Milwaukee. Blew them out by 42 points. I have Milwaukee on the money line. I tell you what, that was, 
a bet dead faster than you could see, say dead. Like, it was so bad. The stat line was bizarre. Lowry was one for eight. He had five points, six rebounds in 24 minutes, and yet the Heat won by 42, like I said, against the defending champs that everybody thinks is going to be able to be the, the favorite to go back to the finals. And they just dog-walked Brooklyn. So, like, are the Heat the king of the East if you're overreacting? The answer is yes. Do I need to remind you that the Bucks swept the Heat in the first round last year? This was the largest Heat victory in the last 25 seasons. Wow. Biggest loss ever for the Bucks by under Mike Budenholzer. Second biggest in his coaching career. And you may say, Trista, what about that huge loss to the Brooklyn Nets at home where they led by 50 at one point? Right. No, they ended up losing only by, th- only by 39 in that game. So... This was even more gross. Lowry was plus 22 in the first quarter when the Heat went up by 23 and never looked back. So the question is, why is a guy who only had five points being so celebrated after the blowout win? Well, because even though Miami has an amazing culture, uh, Kyle Lowry is already changing the culture of the Heat in a good way. And it all started by him basically strong-arming the Raptors into going where the fuck Kyle wanted to go, how he wanted to go. In an interview with the New York Times, Lowry noted his departure from Toronto was, quote-unquote, mutual. We all mutually agreed, he said, that it was time. Hard to put into words. It was just time. Eh. For me, I knew with Miami it was the right situation, right timing, right place, right people, right everything. And if you think, when he says it was mutual and it was all kumbaya, Kyle said this. It wasn't. Sometimes franchises have to do what's best for them, which means trade Kyle for more assets somewhere Kyle didn't want to go, right? But I, Kyle, was in a position where I had say, and I had a little bit of, I wouldn't say power, but I had a little bit of, listen, it's not going to be a good look if we don't collaborate on this together. What a thug. What a gangster. That is what we call a threat. That is what we call Kyle Lowry being like, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. Maybe I'll just tell this new team that you trade me to, I'm never signing with you. And they won't do the deal. Or maybe you can wait in the offseason, trade me to Miami, which is where I want to go. This is what Dame did in Portland. And he said, hey, I'm going to get what I want. Or I'm going to go out and I'm going to make a stink, put pound my little feet on the floor. (laughs) Wouldn't be a good look if the guy who got you a chip in Toronto with Kawhi, which is the reason that it ended up getting you one, Get squeezed out. A legend. Literally Drake and him are best friends. Like, it wouldn't be a good look if uh, Trudeau is like, hey, this Kyle Lowry thing is fucked up, right? Bad. Bad. Uh, back to game one of the heat se- season. Kyle Lowry basically filleted Lowry at the post game, saying, I love playing with Kyle. Back to game one of the heat season. Tyler Hero who, by the way, we talked about has been not the same since Jack Harlow. He's been Tyler Zero, we'll call him. He 
had an amazing game, game one, and filleted Lowry at the post game, basically saying he was responsible for his success. He says, I love playing with Kyle. My first two years in the league, I didn't have a point guard. That is so disrespectful. Uh, That's no knock on my former teammates. Yes, it is. But being next to him is amazing for me. Even one of the most cantankerous hard rocks in the league, Jimmy Butler, is like, I get to focus on putting the ball in the basket with Kyle. I like that. I don't know why I'm saying like this. With Kyle, I think playing the way that he plays, it gives everybody the ability to just hoop. But Butler was not done filleting Kyle, his boy. This is what he said. Uh, that's my guy. Um, it's, it's definitely a blessing to, to share the floor with him. Um, everybody knows how much love I have for him. Um, but more than anything, I hope that my, my daughter's birthday is tomorrow. And I want a really expensive gift. 100000 plus, Kyle. 100000 She needs that. Yeah, damn my ass, 100,000. That's it, thanks guys. Kyle, 100,000, I'm not f***ing around. That is an expensive ass gift. I mean, let's face it, Jimmy does not like sharing the floor with almost anyone. He told Carl Anthony Towns, you are soft as baby shit. And that was after he left the team with them. He literally was, was that a dog? He literally was coming after Cat for like, Months. So for him to give Kyle Lowry that level of praise, it's impactful. He fucking loves Kyle Lowry. It's now Kyle Lowry's team. And this is a guy who scored five points. This is why, how he changes the culture overnight. And this is why a team like the Pelicans and the Sixers, this is why teams like the Pelicans, another flub, this is why teams like the Pelicans and the Sixers were willing to mortgage their future for Kyle. Pretty simple. So I talked last show about Jason Kidd and how he was perfectly primed to mentor, not Luca, but Kristaps Porzingis. And TikTok came all over me. They were like, Trista, remember, you were burning Jason Kidd about his insane Christmas Eve practice when he literally broke players down, causing them to leave the league altogether. And he was basically an insane person. You came after him for that. Where is your change of tune coming from? To that I say, people change. And I say this, Mostly because I know that Jason Kidd did change. That is exactly what he did, and here is why. According to a new article, Joel Varden said this. Jason Kidd has changed his coaching style, and there is a very specific reason why. Let's rewind. When Jason, Ki- when Jason Kidd was hired to coach the Dallas Mavericks after, we'll call it an insane amount of dysfunction, it coincided with that new Giannis biography. The launch of the book was hijacked by some unflattering stories about Jason Kidd. Like that insane practice, like I think there were some references to water parks. Some of that was true. Some of that was not true. Fat shaming. It was insane. It was insane. And that was at this point when Giannis was just, you know, a humble kid from Greece trying to make it in the league, trying to figure out how to get to the Bradley Center, running when he had no money, just catching a ride from some random Bucks fan. So I'm not going to get into how he ran these brutal practices, how he made the team practice on Christmas Eve, made him change flights. 
But I did talk about what all that meant for the Mavs and how Kidd would have to change his coaching style if he wanted to succeed. So Kidd said this, I am a different coach from when I was in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. If I wasn't, I would have never gotten this opportunity. That's a pretty blunt admission, I'd say. It is an explanation why he changed that matters. He said, I'm just understanding this is not life or death. Everything counts. I'm understanding that better, but I'm a lot more relaxed. The butterflies are not as big. It's about having fun and communicating with the guys about what they really want to achieve. It's almost like there's more than basketball out there. It's almost like winning a ring is not nearly as important as, I don't know, a player's mental health. Don't run guys into the ground, Jason Kidd. Where did he come by this newfound sense of zen, Brock? Frank Vogel. I mean, that is a shocker. That is one I did not expect, truthfully. Turns out the main reason that Jason Kidd took the Lakers job, remember, there was a lot of people who thought that Jason Kidd was trying to push Frank Vogel out. He was just there, and Frank Vogel was like a figurehead, and then Jason Kidd was going to snake his way into the front office or into the head coaching spot. But no, apparently it was to do something he had never done, learn on the job as an assistant. It's almost like that's an important thing. Steve Nash, despite, that's a ricochet shot, I'm sorry, despite people claiming he'd torpedo Vogel, in his two years, he never once did that. And he was rewarded by, I don't know, a championship in the bubble, and then Vogel and Kidd became tight. And now that he's in Dallas, apparently him and Luca are like besties. He said this, me and Luca are dating right now. As a joke, obviously. But as, as all relationships, you've got to get a lot of W's for it to work, right? Things are all fun and games when there is no games that you've played yet. It's all hope. It's all aspirations. You start losing like you did against the Hawks on opening night by 26, and that means you might have to do some tweaking. That means we're going to have to see, keep our eye on things when things aren't going right because the Mavs have high hopes, and I tell you what, Luca wants to win as much as anybody. I think it is life and death to Luca. <sighs> did you see Steph Curry? I did. He put on a show last night. Good. Followed up one of his worst shooting performances, 5 for 21 in an opening night victory over the Lakers with one of his best. He scored 25 points in the first quarter along the way to a 45-point night. He made his first nine shots, ended up 8 for 13 from three. <sighs> Sheesh. I mean, we should have expected that kind of night. Like, that's Steph. Like, any bad Steph performance always comes with a good Steph performance. Even Dre, who sees a ton of Steph, said in the postgame, Steph didn't miss a sh shot today in shoot-around. So we knew it was coming. But he could have missed every shot in the, sh the shoot-around, and I still would have known it was coming, he said. So with Golden State out to a 2-0 start, the world is like, Trista, you are an idiot calling Golden State frauds and saying they would not make the playoffs, saying that they had struggle and issues with their depth and their young guys couldn't do anything. Do you see what they're getting from their young guys? And to that I say, you are not watching the game. I will not 
recant my statement. I am even more firmly committed to this stance. Here's why. The game against the Clippers showed exactly why this year is so tenuous for the Warriors. Despite a historic game for Steph, where the entire team went 26 for 30 from the field, 10 for 17 from three, with just under five minutes left in the half, they were down. Warriors, you down, 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 down. How is that possible? Not only can this team not defend, they cannot find a consistent number two. I hate to say it, it's true. Jordan Poole, who is supposed to be their savior, was four for 14, one for six from three, including back-to-back air balls. Bialicia had eight. Otto Porter, non-factor, had four. Juan Toscano Anderson only had three. Wiggins had no K night at 17. Like, they have no one else but Steph. Be very, very clear. They ended up down one. I cannot, uh, I cannot express how fucked up this is. You are going to have to see Steph be MVP Steph every night for them to be cont- competitive. They had almost no answers from the Clippers. Small ball lineup. Most people don't. And it showed that glaring weakness in this team. They can't defend. Their bench is old and young. Like, too many old guys, too many too young guys. Full of league minimum guys, and none of them can really be counted on. Andrew Wiggins included. And that's not even talking about Andrew Wiggins in the playoffs, and he is god-awful. Which means this is now the do-do-do-do-do-do Steph Curry circus, right? It's him and only him. He's going to have to be Superman and Batman and Iron Man and Spider-Man pretty much every single night. And if this team wants to get to 50 wins, he's going to have to have one of his best nights of his career every single night. And we know Steve Kerr doesn't like to play Steph a lot of minutes. He likes to limit him to 35 to 37, and that means Steph's going to have to do it faster all the time. All of this to say, I think these two games actually prove to Bob Myers in the front office they need to make a move. Steph Curry is going to do everything he has and his power to win. And they need to make that move now before Steph gets run into the ground or before Steph gets disgruntled or before other players like Draymond, who just injured his wrist, or Andre Iguodala, who just injured himself as well. And then who knows, right? They're one role player injury away from disaster. So who should they trade for? Hmm. Maybe Ben Simmons. Yes. Incredible that we start this show and end this show with Mr. Balloon Hands. But here we are. Trade Draymond. I know that's a tough stretch. Maybe put him on the bench. They can't play together. It's like Russell Westbrook and LeBron. I don't know what they're going to do with Draymond. I don't think they can share the floor together, but I tell you what. Ben would help this team. I could see trading for Ben Simmons kind of like how trading for Paul George was for the Clippers. Like Clippers overpaid because the situation called for it, and I think the Warriors are in a similar situation. They need to get someone, and they need to get them now. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check podcast. We will be on Monday night to recap all the news for the first week in the NBA season. Please do not forget to give us a follow at, at Trista Crick and at This Heat Check on TikTok. Download, subscribe, give us a rating on Spotify and Apple. The NBA is back, baby, and so are we. See you next week.